If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast. Each week, I focus on topics related to mental health and discuss ways to help you deal with issues like anxiety, depression, shame, guilt, PTSD, and more. I've spent the last 30 years researching the mind-brain connection and mental health. I worked with patients who suffered from traumatic brain injuries, struggled with anxiety, battled with learning issues, and often worked with families to resolve major relationship and communication problems. In this podcast, you will hear the advice I gave to my patients and the techniques I developed and used to help them find healing. My goal is to give you simple, effective and practical tips and tools to help you take back control over your mental, emotional and physical health. Before I begin today's discussion, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has supported this podcast, either by leaving a review, spreading the word, sharing episodes with friends and family, and posting about this podcast on social media. I love reading your reviews and learning how I can make this podcast even more helpful. Like this review from Ali8526. Amazing practical steps in Dr. Leaf's episodes. Dr. Leaf, I listened to your Identifying the Root of Anxiety episode and was able to talk myself out of an anxiety attack in 5 minutes by applying your steps when it usually takes 20 to 60 minutes. I was also able to identify the root of the anxiety attack by doing the final step of asking further questions and editing my written response. It was linked to an issue that happened over 20 years ago. Thank you so much for sharing these applicable steps that really work. Thank you, Ali. I'm so pleased it helped you. Now back to today's podcast. Today, I'm going to discuss 10 simple and practical mental self-care techniques to keep your brain healthy and reduce anxiety. First tip, stop stressing about not getting enough sleep. Fear of not getting enough sleep is actually more dangerous than not sleeping. And with all the media around how dangerous and how bad for your brain a lack of sleep is, it can be quite easy to get fearful about not sleeping. It's also awful when you're lying in bed at night and you're desperately tired and you can't go to sleep. What is a better way to manage sleep? Before I dive into that, I just want to tell you what sleep does. Sleep helps your brain, body and mind regenerate. So when you go to sleep, you kind of go into a housekeeping mode where your brain is cleaned up, where your body is cleaned up, where you regenerate cells and kind of prepare for the next day. When we talk about managing sleep, we need to make sure that we do get enough sleep in order for this regeneration to happen. But the thing is, is that we all have to look at the context of our life. And depending on where we are and what context of our life we're in or stage of our life or what we're going through, that is going to affect our sleep. 
So at any one moment, we need to consider how busy we are. What are we eating? What is our diet like? What are we going through emotionally at that moment? You know, are you managing your toxic thoughts and traumas, etc.? Because those three things will definitely affect the quality of your sleep and how much you sleep and how deeply you sleep and so on. So to manage sleep, one of the first tips to manage sleep is number one, don't fear that you won't sleep and what it's doing to your brain because the fear will cause more damage. Number one. Secondly, look at the context of your life. Look at your diet. Look at the medications that you're on. Look at the busyness or the stage of life that you're in work-wise maybe or children-wise or a combination, how busy you are. And the third thing is, are you dealing with your toxic issues? One of the main things that keeps people awake at night is a mind that's chaotic. A mind where you feel everything's unresolved. So you go to bed with this massive chaos of I've got to do this and I haven't done that and I don't know how to do this and I'm worried about that and I haven't dealt with this. And as you fall into a sleep pattern, that toxic energy moving through your brain, which is literal quantum toxic energy moving through your brain, which is literal electromagnetic and chemical chaos in your brain, doesn't allow your body to go into the stages of sleep that you need. So you're not going to resolve everything by the time you go to bed, but you can make a determination how to go into that sleep state. So you could say something to yourself like, I'm going to, I can't solve all this now, but here are the problems that are worrying me. Write them down and I'm going to solve this tomorrow or next week or over the next few days. And that sort of brings a closure that allows you to compartmentalize and allows you to go into sleep. So it's not this chaotic and dealt with stuff. Don't suppress it. Don't pretend it's not there. Bring it out, write it, close the book compartmentalize it. Let's say that now you've done that and you're still battling to sleep. So it may be a good idea in the next upcoming days to address your diet, medications, and then look at the level of busyness. If you're eating the wrong food, you can address that. I have a book, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, that can help you with that. If you are in terms of busyness, my book, Think, Learn, Succeed, addresses techniques on how to do busy well, how to make sure that you give your brain rest during the course of the day. If you are constantly busy, 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 always going on, never taking a break, pushing from one activity to the next, your brain gets exhausted. And the ironic thing is that when your brain is physically exhausted, it's almost more difficult to fall asleep. Let's say that you've gone to bed and you're lying in bed and you're dozing off and then you wake up with this adrenaline rush and this happens repeatedly for a few hours and you just don't get that decent sleep. Don't allow yourself to stay in that place. If you find yourself going into that sleep, almost asleep and then whoosh of adrenaline and then you feel anxious and edgy, sit up in bed, turn on the light, pick up a book, read something, maybe watch something on your phone, just make sure that you have the light, the night light set up on your phone, maybe do some work. In other words, don't allow yourself to panic and turn it into something constructive. This is something I always do and it's a foolproof method for not letting the night become one of hours of panicky, restless, lack of sleep, lying there in agony. Don't lie there in agony. Wake up and eventually you'll fall asleep. And if you don't, your body has its own natural sleep rhythm. You might be in a very busy state of life at at this moment. And you might be transitioning job or things with your kids or whatever it may be. And so you need to give yourself a little bit of grace. Your body will catch up on that sleep. So all of us will get in, sometimes have two or three days where it's a bit crazy. And then you'll find yourself going into very, very deep sleep. If you start to manage it, if you don't manage it, you're going to keep in this negative toxic sleep cycle. We all have our own rhythm. So we can't say for sure exactly how many hours of sleep we should have. The average seems to be pitched around, around six to eight hours per night for adults and longer for children. 
But then again, you need to find your own rhythm. Last point about how to not stress about not getting enough sleep is that don't stress about how you're going to feel the next day. So here you are not being able, not able to go to sleep or it's two in the morning and you're only falling, starting to doze off. Don't think, oh, I'm going to be so tired the next day. I'm not going to be able to manage. That mindset wires in that state of mind in your brain. You go to sleep with that and that's what you will operate from the next day. That becomes the cloud or the, the way that you view the next day. So don't do that. Just say, oh, it's okay. I'm going to sleep late. I'll catch up. I'll have a nap later or I'll go to sleep earlier tonight. Give yourself that. And that shifts your body from toxic stress into healthy stress and makes your body work for you and not against you. So even if you get one hour of sleep, it will be incredibly rejuvenating. Tip number two is to reconceptualize. What is reconceptualizing? Reconceptualizing is seeing things from a different angle looking at something differently, redesigning it. How do you do this? It's a mind action. You make a choice to look at the situation differently and give yourself another way of looking at it or another way of understanding it. Why is this so important? If you don't reconceptualize a situation that's holding you back, an emotional work, relationship, trauma, you will stay stuck. So reconceptualization is the key to get unstuck. Unless you start looking at things differently, your brain gets stuck because your brain just does what your mind tells it to do. So as you with your mind start looking at it differently, so you allow the chemicals and the blood chemistry and the neurochemistry and all the different hormones and neurotransmitters to flow differently, which means that the physical that your mind is working through is much clearer, cleaner and, and, and not so murky. And so you get a much more effective thinking pattern being put into place. So here's some examples. Let's say that you've got a whole lot of uncertain feelings, a little bit of anxiety about the uncertainty of your future. Maybe you are graduating from school and you're going to university, or maybe you're graduating from university and you're going into the working, working life, or maybe you're just about to get married, or maybe you're just about to start a new job. All these are things that are uncertainty. So instead of being thinking of all the negative or thinking of going down a rabbit hole of what could be wrong, see that as exciting. I don't know what's coming up, but this exciting, this is exciting. The uncertainty isn't fearful, it's exciting. It could be this, it could be that. And give yourself a list. Even if you write that down, give yourself a list of how this could be exciting. And if you can't work any out or think of any, speak to someone. Let someone help you make that list and help you start looking at this thing from a different angle. Don't be scared to speak to someone when you're trying to reconceptualize something that feels uncertain. Another example, public speaking can be a huge issue for a lot of people. So there is always a level of good stress that can be experienced when you go into public speaking. But if you see it as something scary and threatening and I can't do this and I hate talking in front of people and you go down that negative road, basically it does a whole lot of toxic stuff in your brain and you can't think clearly. So reconceptualize that fear into an excitement and anticipation. So it's okay to feel a little bit of, you know, a few butterflies in your stomach, but you want the the butterflies to kind of fly in order, not chaotically. So there is a level of stress, but it's good stress. It's anticipation. And see that feeling, the, the, the muscles tensing and the adrenaline pounding and the heart pumping and all those responses in your body. That is positive stress making you clear and alert and there's more dopamine flowing so you can remember what you're going to say and there's more serotonin so you'll be calm when you say it. 
Start thinking of a whole lot of good things and, and then to reframe, you reconceptualize, you redesign the scary as something positive and that completely changes how your body functions. Your body will work for you and not against you. Another example, maybe you are dealing with some kind of a project. Now, this is what's happened in our life, in our business, in, in my life and in our business over the last couple of months. We've been working on a major project that has had many setbacks and many delays and quite scary delays. And it's a big deal for our business. And there's been times where I've really had to practice reconceptualizing because I started seeing all the negative. And so I reconceptualized this, these setbacks and the delays and said, oh, these actually aren't bad because these setbacks and delays enabled me to see what I didn't see before. I know so much more now than I knew a few months ago, and I would have made these mistakes later on. I've made them earlier on, so those mistakes have become learning experiences. So now I'm excited. I've reconceptualized the slight, this not slight, this what was becoming quite a big anxiety, almost like a PTSD kind of situation, into excitement about the possibilities and the opportunities and the breakthroughs and the new knowledge and the future that can be gained. So this whole project is now turned into something that's so exciting. My body feels differently. When I think about this project, I don't feel toxic stress. I feel positive stress. I make my body work for me and not against me. Mistakes. We, need to mis- we, we all make mistakes. But a mistake is actually a great thing if you reconceptualize it. A mistake is not a failure that keeps you back. A mistake or a failure contain information. And if you reconceptualize that mistake and failure as knowledge and information that you have gained, you've then turned your mistake, you've reconceptualized your mistake into a learning experience. So make reconceptualizing a daily part of your life. Before we continue, I want to take a quick break and tell you about and invite you to my 2019 Mental Health Summit in Dallas, Texas, December 6 and 7. In this conference, you'll learn scientifically researched mental self-care techniques to help you overcome mental ill health, help others and help your community. You will not only gain more knowledge about the current problems in mental health care, but also about real long-term sustainable solutions and how to apply these solutions in your own life and in your community. In this summit, you will learn how to overcome mental health issues like anxiety and depression, learn how to help children and teens, learn correct nutrition and exercise to boost your mental health, learn how to identify and define your unique identity based on neuroscientific research learn how to improve memory, learn how to help family members and loved ones who struggle with mental ill health, learn how to avoid burnout and manage stress, learn how to deal with disappointment, learn how to overcome intrusive and chaotic thinking, and so much more. For more information and to register, go to drleafconference.com. One last thing before we get back to this week's podcast. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who has donated so far to my research project fundraiser. So far, we have raised over 41,000 out of our 120,000 goal. 100% of these funds are going directly to this project. And so far, we have used what we have raised to pay lab technicians, research design, pre-test statistical analysis, and more. The results from this research project and clinical trials will help us make mental health care 
more accessible, affordable and applicable for people all around the world. Please keep sharing the word about this project with friends and family. For more information on this project and to donate, visit drleafresearch.com. Now back to today's podcast. Tip number three, practice self-regulation. What is self-regulation? It is a deliberate and intentional observing of your own thoughts, words, and actions and changing and controlling them when necessary. I call this technique our multiple perspective advantage. We have this uncanny and unique ability as humans to literally stand back and observe our own thinking and feeling and choosing literally every 10 seconds. So we can consciously and deliberately be very aware of our body movements, our facial expressions, our word choices, what we're doing, how we're responding to people, how we're reacting to people, how people are reacting to us. And that is a skill that's in us, but it's definitely a skill that we can drown with the busyness of life and toxic thinking and so on. So it's something that we should practice all the time because as we practice self-regulation, we become much more effective in how we function daily with everything, relationships, work, etc. So how do you do this? You just have to consciously and deliberately think of what you are thinking about, what you are feeling, what you are choosing. Be conscious of it. So right now, as you're listening to me, you can practice this. Be, a, be aware of your maybe your hand movements. Be aware of your facial expression. Be aware of how you're breathing. Be aware maybe of a conversation that you just had. Be aware of something that's coming up. As you do this, the front part of your brain, your quick side note, your whole brain is responding. Your brain responds to your mind. But when you deliberately self-regulate, you increase the firing in the frontal lobe. And that's very good because it gives you your brain more, uh, your brain functions at a much higher level. There's more control. Self-regulation gives you control, stops you being reactive and irritated and doing those things that kind of catch us when we, you know, when you don't think things through properly. One of the best ways to practice self-regulation is to start a thought journal. So as things happen, you write down your reactions, you write down the triggers, you write down the context. Do you capture whatever you can about that as soon as you can? You could do this in a handwritten journal. You could capture it as notes on your phone. And what you do is you start building up a log. And then as you look back at that log, you can analyze the patterns of what is going on. Are there certain definite triggers that are activating this? Are there certain, how often are you doing it? Are there intrusive thoughts that keep coming back over and over again? So you start learning to stand back and analyze what you are saying, what's shooting out of your mouth, your reactions, capturing those, and then you can analyze those and work out better ways of dealing with situations, better ways of reacting. But by, by not being aware, you can't manage. A thought journal will really help you train yourself to be much more self-regulatory because you'll see what you're actually doing and saying and in the moment, and you can then get the patterns and triggers and things. Very, very helpful way of training yourself to self-regulate. Here's a couple of examples. It's really good to self-regulate your expectations. You wake up in the morning, you're going to have a discussion with your family. If you, let's say you've got a family around you that you live with people. And it could be that you went to bed yesterday, not sorting out something or there was something going on in your family. When you wake up in the morning, self-regulate your expectation. Are you going to expect this to continue? Are you going to expect this to change? Are you going to expect that person to be angry? Or so whatever ex expectations 
are imaginations. As you expect, you imagine. As you imagine, you build that network in your brain. Whatever you build into your brain, that's what you're going to say and do. So you create a reality. So manage your expectations. If it's negative expectation of what the communication is going to be over breakfast with that person, it's going to be negative. But if you manage it and say, okay, this is how it was, but I'm going to expect that I'm going to stay calm and I'm going to be able to manage this. I'm expecting that person to just respond to me being very loving. You change the whole way that you function and that will definitely have a positive impact on the other person. Thoughts are real things. Thoughts are the result of your thinking, feeling and choosing. So when you self-regulate, you actually really are designing your thoughts. You're building and structuring them in the way that you want to, to produce what you want to say and what you want to do. If you think of thoughts like that, it makes sense to self-regulate. Because whatever you self-regulate is going to result in something you build. Whatever you build into your brain and your mind is what you're going to say and do. So you're creating your next reality. So self-regulation helps you to decide what's the best next reality. If we don't control this, toxic thoughts grow like weeds. They have this viral growth effect in the brain and it can just go down a rabbit hole. You can always change them, but it's so much more work to change what's created than it is to just not do it in the beginning. So self-regulation is very preventative and leads to a lot more organized thinking and less chaotic thinking. Another thing to remember, which relates to the first point, is that an unregulated mind does definitely affect your sleep because it's chaotic thinking that disturbs the sleep pattern. If you don't self-regulate during the course of the day, it's cumulative. It builds up and builds up and now you're in bed and you're trying to sleep and suddenly you've got this chaotic mindset, you're exhausted but you're wide awake and all the things that I spoke about in point one. So self-regulation is a good tool to make sure you get good sleep at night. Socrates once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Self-regulation teaches you to have an examined life. Tip four, use breathing to help manage your mental health. What does breathing do? Well, it keeps you alive for starters. But basically when you breathe in a very deliberate way, and I'll give you a couple of techniques in a moment, you dissipate cortisol. Now cortisol is a good thing. Cortisol works with your hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is the HPA axis, which has everything to do with how you control your stress. And cortisol is part of that whole process. And all, all of the chemicals that are released in the stress response are good for you if they're managed. And by saying managed, if we control our thinking, chaotic, toxic thoughts, etc. So when you're in a panic attack or when you're in a situation where you just like really are flawed, and you don't know what to do, you can't think. Breathing is a fantastic first step, deliberate breathing, because it dissipates the cortisol, which has built up, which suddenly whooshes through your brain and your body in dangerous amounts or in toxic amounts that can affect you, make your thinking even more fogged up and clogged up. So by breathing in a deliberate, calm way, you dissipate the cortisol, you calm down the HPA axis, you make your body work for you and not against you, and now you can think a little bit clearer. So there's different ways you can do it. I, the, the, one, the two techniques that I love to use are the one where you breathe in for three counts, you hold for three counts, and you breathe out for three counts. If you can't remember to count to three because you're in such a panic attack, just breathe very deeply that your shoulders and your lungs and your body, actually you can feel your chest moving and just hold that and then breathe out. If you're on your own and you are panicking, what you can do is hold the one side of your nose you breathe in through the other side, you breathe in for a count of three, you hold for a count of three, and then you breathe out through the other side of the nose. 
and then you swap. And you can just do that three or four times just to calm yourself down. Don't do this extra breathing for too long because it can make you a little bit lightheaded. And as soon as you start feeling that lightheadedness, that's when you must stop. But that's also indication for you that you've controlled those chemicals to the point where you're still feeling a panicky, but now you can actually move forward and reconceptualize and self-regulate and all those things. Tip number five, take social media breaks. There's lots of examples that we can use, and I'm just going to give you a couple, but we all are aware of the dangers of social media, the benefits and the dangers. Using the correct way, it's good for you. Using the wrong way, it's not good for you. I have a lot more on that in my book, Think, Learn, Succeed. But here's three great little mental health tips to help you manage social media. What you could do is log out on Sunday night and only log back in on Friday afternoon. So while you're in your working week, you focus on what you have to do in that week and you don't get affected by all by other people's lives and get distracted by other people's lives. And instead of using that time that you would have used on social media, you can rather use that time to develop what I call your thinker mindset. And your thinker mindset is where you switch off to the external and switch onto the internal. In other words, give your physical brain a rest by literally daydreaming, blocking what's coming in. Close your eyes and just let your mind wander and daydream and let your thoughts just kind of move around in your head and let your ideas flow. And if you find that there's lots of intrusive thoughts and things like that, once you stop, you can just write those down and you can deal with those at a later point. Use Instead of using the time on social media, you can use it to actually give your brain rest through these thinker moments that I've just described. From time to time, take three weeks off, take 21 days off to Stop social media completely. Just don't look at social media for three weeks. In three weeks, major changes happen in your brain. And you may come back, then when you come back, not you may, when you come back and use the social media again, it will be very different. Or do things like limit it to two hours a day spread through the day so that you're not constantly looking at it. So it's very disciplined. Maybe you'll look for first thing in the morning, then at lunchtime, then in the evening. I don't know. You work it out what works for you. Remember, social media is only a curated snapshot. It's not the full story. It's a curated and edited snapshot of someone's life. They're presenting what they would like you to see. It's not the full story. So don't compare yourself. Watch what you say in comments. Would you say that same thing to that person face to face? You know, sometimes I look at our social media and I see the comments that people put there and I think, wow, would they say that face to face? And that's a good question to ask yourself. Would you even say that at all if you were sitting opposite that person? And also watch the words, watch the way you construct the words, watch the exclamation marks, watch the, watch the emojis, because you're conveying a lot of other emotions in those as well. Next week, we will dive into five more simple and practical mental self-care techniques to help keep your brain healthy and reduce anxiety. If you are interested in learning more about how you can improve your mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Be sure to leave me a review and tune in next week. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf.